Good morning. So today um, we're continuing on in Ecclesiastes and we're going to be covering chapters 10, 11, and part of 12. And so you know, I'm going to be reading all of that and taking some breaks in between to keep us engaged. So let's begin. Ecclesiastes 10 verses 1. One dead fly makes the perfumer's ointment give off a rancid stench. So a little folly can outweigh much wisdom. A wise person's good sense protects him, but a fool's lack of sense leaves him vulnerable. Even when a fool walks along the road, he lacks sense and shows everyone what a fool he is. If the anger of the ruler flares up against you, do not resign from your position, for a calm response can undo great offenses." I have seen another misfortune on the earth. It is an error a ruler makes. Fools are placed in many positions of authority, while wealthy men sit in lowly positions. I have seen slaves on horseback and princes walking on foot like slaves. One who digs a pit may fall into it, and one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. One who quarries stones may be injured by them. One who splits logs may be endangered by them. If an iron axe head is blunt and a workman does not sharpen its edge, he must exert a great deal of effort, so wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the snake should bite before it is charmed, the snake charmer is in trouble. The words of a wise person win him favor, but the words of a fool are self-destructive. At the beginning, his words are foolish, and at the end, his talk is wicked madness. Yet a fool keeps on babbling. No one knows what will happen. Who can tell him what will happen in the future? The toil of a stupid fool wears him out because he does not even know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is childish and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time with self-control and not in drunkenness. Because of laziness, the roof caves in, and because of idle hands, the house leaks. Feasts are made for laughter, and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Do not curse a king, even in your thoughts, and do not curse the rich while in your bedroom, for a bird might report what you are thinking, or some winged creature might repeat your words. So in the first chapter, we have comments regarding fools. In all positions, in all places of authority, in all stages of life, uh, fools in thinking and in actions. So on to chapter 11. Send your grain overseas after many days, for after many days, you will get a return. Divide your merchandise among seven or even eight investments, for you do not know what calamity may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they will empty themselves on the earth. And whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the tree will lie wherever it falls. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who observes the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind or how the bones form in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Sow your seed in the morning and do not stop working until the evening. For you do not know which activity will succeed, 
whether this one or that one, or whether both will prosper equally. So in these sections of verses, we hear about working, and we want it to be successful. We want it to mean something and be an indication that we will have what we need, but then there are comments that there is no guarantee um, to such work. Then continuing, and this is uh, the trajectory of life or um, the advancement of age. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the person to see the sun. If a man lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that is about to come is obscure. Rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart cheer in the days of your youth. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, but, you, but know that God will judge your motives and actions. Banish emotional stress from your mind and put away pain from your body, for youth and the prime of life are fleeting. So remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds disappear after the rain, when those who keep watch over the house begin to tremble and the virile men begin to stoop over and the grinders begin to cease because they grow few, and those who look through the windows grow dim and the doors along the streets are shut when the sound of the grinding mill grows low and the one who is awakened by the sound of the bird and all their songs grow faint and are afraid of heights and the dangers in the street, the almond blossoms grow white and the grasshoppers drag itself along and the caperberry shrivels up because man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets before the silver cord is removed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the well, or the well water wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the life's breath returns to God who gave it. Absolutely futile, laments the teacher. All of these things are futile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Lord, in this moment of silence, we bring all of ourselves to you. We pray that you would engage with us as we engage with you about your word. You are faithful to bring it to bear. And so we trust you, I trust you, uh, in these next few moments to do so. Amen. So, this is a, going to be a discussion about futility, angst, hope in the midst of Ecclesiastes and Psalms. And I want to talk about three things this morning. I'd like to examine the differences between Ecclesiastes and Psalms in the way each writer engaged with the struggles of life and the potential postures or the fruit of each way of engaging. Number two, the repetitive nature of engaging with the struggles of life and the repetitive nature of engaging with the struggles of life in personal application. So first, Ecclesiastes and Psalms. Now, obviously, as we've been almost through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, comments are made about fools, not just in this chapter and 10 that we've just covered, but one of the many examples that I've pulled out here from chapter 5, verse 1, is guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen 
is better than the sacrifice offered by fools, for they do not know how to keep from doing evil. And of note here, I'd like to make this comment. The teacher defines foolishness as disobeying God. Then in chapter 10, as I mentioned, comments concerning work and preparing for the unknown and the potential futility of it all is made by the teacher. Another example from previous in Ecclesiastes from chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me, and who knows whether or not they will be wise or foolish. And then from the part from 11.7 to 12.8 is the comments about life advancing the years and the decline and decay of us all and everything in it. Um, quite a uh, dramatic finish. Um, think back to Mike's sermon of last week where we talked about death on Mother's Day in totality. And then another example from earlier in Ecclesiastes about death. For the fate of humans, the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. And that's from 319. Now, I want to bring us to Psalms and talk about the same subjects and pull out some verses from Psalms dealing with those subjects. In Psalms, uh, 94, verse 8, about fools. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? And then later in the same uh, Psalm 94 to verse 17, when I thought my foot is slipping, your steadfast, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And again from Psalms concerning the fleeting and under, unpredictable nature of life and preparing for it from Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. And finally, death in Psalms from Psalm 18, 4 through 6. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of perdition assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Now, given these two sets of passages, I would like to make the argument that the teacher in Ecclesiastes makes observations and comments about the unknowable ways of God in dealing with fools, the unpredictable nature of life, and the advancing of years and death. But I would like to comment and make the argument that there's not a real sense of interaction with God, which results in this sense of angst, which is defined as a feeling of deep anxiety or dread, typically an unfocused one about the human condition or the state of the world in general. The psalmist, however, brings the struggle, frustration, hurt, anger, pain, and all of the rest of human emotion to God directly and boldly. The teacher sounds as if he is talking about or to God, while the psalmist sounds as if he is talking with God. As a result, I would like to suggest that either talking with God versus about or to God 
would affect the way the psalmist and the teacher work out their faith by either fighting or wrestling with God, which in turn affects their very position in relation to God. Now, wrestling to me is um, a long-endeared thing. I was a wrestling cheerleader in high school, so I developed an appreciation for it long ago and observed the skill and strength and um, activity in which it required and have held that thought in my mind and heart for many years. Wrestling is a, a, a very close contact sport, especially the Rome gecko kind. Um, you are trying to pin your opponent. Um, the real potential is to actually grow, draw, draw closer together in the act of wrestling. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and as a result, his very name and physical nature was changed as a result of that wrestling. Now, fighting, to me, and I'm thinking about boxing and MMA. I don't watch much of it. I'm a social worker. Those things hurt my heart, even if it's enjoyed by some. Is really an overpowering of your opponent through physical violence. And in my observation, has the potential to create distance between you and your opponent. As I was thinking about this, and specifically I talking with Mike about preparing for this sermon, he mentioned Adam and Eve and their fighting with God in the garden and what that, the consequence of that fighting was. When the serpent came to them and questioned God, the goodness of God to them and what God was really trying to accomplish by saying, don't do this one thing, don't touch this one thing, Adam and Eve, instead of going to God and talking with him about it, decided what they were going to do and hid from him and fought against him. And it created distance, literally, of great consequence to them and of great consequence to us still to this day, obviously. Now on to point, 20, uh, point number two, which is the repetitive nature of all of these things. Now, as the teacher wisely says that there is nothing new under the sun, all of these things that we wrestle with and they wrestled with, the questioning of fools and why get people get to have their places and positions and why things come across as foolish and we say and foolish, do foolish things and we judge people because there is an element in this that the teacher is making an assessment and a judgment that these things and people are foolish and is deciding for the teacher for himself that those are foolish things. Now, we could by and large agree with that, given the um, examples being shown. There is still an internal decision of judging that that is foolishness. The themes in Ecclesiastes of fools, the futility of life, the inevitability of death, repeat and repeat as they do in Psalms, and everywhere else in the Bible for that matter, but what is the outworking of this repetitive encounter? The sense of Ecclesiastes is angst building on angst. As it sounds to be an internal conversation within the teacher. No interaction outside of himself, potentially, with God, let alone anybody else in his life. Sounds, to me, sound much more like a conversation. The wrestling is real, but there is a sense that a place of resolve is reached. There is some outworking, there is something, there is a movement, if you will, within 
the internal psalmist of, yes, this is a real experience. I don't like this, but I'm going to be able to move from this place to a place of worshiping and praising God because I have a place to bring this and leave it. So as the last point, how does this repetitive struggle affect us and a play out in our lives? Practical application. Now, if you know me, I have said many times, I love a good angst. This is my nature. I love this stuff. I am pragmatic and pessimistic in myself, left to my own willful desires. This is me. I love Ecclesiastes. I do. This is how I sound inside myself, given to be left alone. Um, I get this place. Um, and like Ecclesiastes, I have issues that I have encountered time and time again, as many of you do, unresolved family conflict, identity, singleness, disability, aging, fools in my life, the meaning of life, and so on. And I have learned, unfortunately, and continue to learn over and over that angst and finding God are not beneficial. I have wounds and scars internally to show for those things. Um, and so I would like to share with you what I think is the repetitive nature of what sanctification in my life, which is um, the way that I think about it in my language is taking another pass. Maybe... Um, the image of stones in a river with the water passing over it and rubbing off the edges, or it may be, you know, encountering the same thing or whatever the language is that the Lord has with you in this spiritual journey that we are all on. But I find in myself that as I have been growing in the Lord and going in this journey, not just with him, but the rest of you, that I begin to develop trust that I begin to see that the Lord is able to handle these things as I bring them to him and wrestle with him about them. He is showing me faithfully, kindly, consistently that he is trustworthy with the things that I struggle with, which causes me then to want to be obedient, to continue to bring those things to him, to continue to trust, and to continue to be able to say, I will do this. I don't want to. I don't like to sometimes. But I will do this because you asked me to, and I want to obey you because I trust you. Now, the final one that it brings me to, and maybe this is a little bit self-serving and a little selfish, but it really is an avoiding of discipline. <laughs> because, again, as I've mentioned, I've got some scars and I've got some new stories about being disciplined that I don't particularly want to go through again. And as I find that he is trustworthy and being obedient is good and I want to be obedient, I find that I do want to avoid being disciplined. Whatever your verbiage is about being disciplined, it's being in the belly of the whale or it's um, being in the wilderness, being in the desert. Uh, my personal one, honestly, is being behind the woodshed. And it is not a place that I particularly like to go. And I know that feeling when we're getting to that place where that might be something that we're going to have to do. And I do want to avoid that this, in these days. My personal issue right now, 
as I was preparing for this, and I am literally going through this right now, is in, in regards to work. And it is in regards to what I have judged inside of myself as foolish leadership. And if you know me, this isn't the first time I've, I've uh, struggled with this. In many of my positions of work, I have come to this place where I am frustrated by my leadership and um, bring it to God. And I have recognized an angsty pattern in me right now that I need to engage a little bit better even now in this and find out what the Lord is wanting to say and do. And it may just be to trust him and to be obedient, to be a faithful servant in the work that he has brought me to do and given me to do and enabled me to do, gratefully, um, and to trust that the people in positions of authority are there by his hand, because he says they are, and to be obedient to them and submitted to their authority. And I don't necessarily like that, I will say, but I think that's where I'm getting to. And uh, that brings me peace. It does. And it does remove that sense of angst. So as we close very quickly, because I'm quick in my words, I suppose, all of this repetitiveness over and over and building upon itself reminds me of Romans 5, 2 through 5, which says, We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And as we come to the table, one last point from Romans. As Stephen comes to introduce the table, I want to say that this is a form of suffering. This bringing things to God, this struggling, it is a form of suffering. But remember, only suffering when we are in relationship with God will produce this endurance, character, and hope. Because remember, we are all fools. Because later in Romans 5, continuing in verse 6, for while we were still weak, think fools, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen.